This is a show for grown-ups. And they say bad words. And they say bad words. Say final warning. Final warning. Hey folks, we've got something cool for you today because not only is our guest new and exciting, but our host is new and exciting. Eric Kremrein is taking the reins on this one. You might remember Eric from our LGBTQ representation episode, which he was a stellar guest for that. And he's stepping up to help us out with some interviews now too, so look forward to more of those in the future, and maybe even some games that Eric will DM for us. Anyway, without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Cam Day of Daylight Publications. Take it away, Eric. So, well, hi. My name is Eric. I am here for Pod of Blunders to talk about some of your the upcoming projects, upcoming things you've got going on. But let me give you a chance to introduce yourself. Can you tell me your name, pronouns, and, and if you are comfortable sharing, you know, where, where are you from? Sure. So, hey there, everybody. I am Cam Day. He, him. I am from New Hampshire, East Coast boy, born and raised, originally grew up in the White Mountains, but now I've moved down to the big city of Manchester to start my first year of teaching. So a bit of a departure from the, uh, the mountains where I grew up, but uh, it's been educational. And what a year to start teaching for oh, the yeah. first time. Oh yeah. Very cool. So first question, I feel like, you know, probably a big thing for most people to do this is what got you into gaming? What was your, or what, I guess like what I call it, your, your gateway into gaming um, and what got you into to tabletop specifically? So growing up, we were one of the few families in town that didn't have cable. We had like PBS and on a good day, if the antenna was right and the weather was coming in fine, you know, we might be able to get one or two channels. We had dial up till I was probably about 16. So we didn't really have a lot of tech like a lot of my friends did. Didn't have systems growing up. So very much was a reader when I was a kid. Unfortunately, I don't have as much time to pleasure read anymore, which sucks. But you know, we, I just read a ton. And then a family friend of ours was a professional storyteller, Simon Brooks. He does stuff all over Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts. And we went over to visit his house one day. I think we were doing like a family dinner or something because their kid was friends with my brother. And I noticed he had this whole big box of D&D books. And it was like this smorgasbord of 2E, advanced, 3.5, 4. So it was this weird combo of everything. And he let me borrow the box. And then like two years later, I was like, Simon, do you want any of this back? And he goes, uh, consider it on permanent loan, he said. So that's really what got me into it. And 4E was probably my truest entry into D&D and been playing it ever since. I definitely would say that as time has gone on, I've branched off into other systems. I really love City of Mist. The first publishing thing I ever did was actually for a game called Black Void which is a bronze punk cosmic horror D12 system. So that was a bit a bit different from my roots as a D&D player. And then it just kind of grew from there. So I've been playing RPGs for 10 years, love board games too, card games. So any anytime someone wants to play, I'm always down. <laughs> and I feel like in, in getting to know you a little bit, as a tabletop player, what types of characters do you enjoy playing? Or do you have like any specific favorites from your, your 10 years? I know I can recall back to like, here's two characters that I will always refer back to as like my, mm. my faves. Well, I don't, unfortunately I'm a forever DM, so I don't get to play super <laughs> often. 
Oh um, no! But I do have I do have a couple characters that have definitely stood the test of time. One was he was a we did an, an all orc all goblin game a couple of summers ago and he was an orc warlock of dagon so i did a elder evil and i modeled him very much off of guldan from world of warcraft so like very <laughs> gross very hunched up i did the whole voice and everything but I, we built it so i had this great arc of like him rejecting his patron becoming a barbarian and that was a great deal of fun because it got to the point where i'd spend all my spells and then he'd be like, ha, what are you going to do now, Warlock? And I'd like shrug off my robes, be jacked, and just be like, oh, you thought this was over. So Kazim was a lot of fun to play. And then I think the one I have, I'm playing again in a game right now, which is super fun. I'm playing a Circle of the Shepherd Druid. She okay. is a, Kel- a Keldon human from Dominaria. So she's like seven foot, gray skin, red eyes. They still count as humans, though. I made her as an ex-military general. So she found Druidry as like a way to work with her PTSD only she's still struggling on the druid part she's got the wild shape down she's got the like working with the animal side but the military side of her still very much is present in her character so that's a fun little mechanic she's also peak buff lesbian energy which is also really fun to play with (laughs) so all I'm with all the other guys are like these very small human men and I'm just this (laughs) massive woman so it's this hilarious dynamic in the party and so that's that's definitely a good time I'd say Nara is definitely one of my favorites nice and is that a is that a D&D 5e that you're doing yep yep we because with the group it's actually run by one of my co-workers at the school I work at temporarily because eventually in the summer I'm going to run a Curse of Innistrad game Mm. we're going to take Curse of Strahd and put it in the magic plane of Innistrad so he was like oh I'll run Horde of the Dragon Queen because he's had it prepped for years but never been able to play it so we're like hey we'll play Horde of the Dragon Queen very nice very nice well obviously you're here to talk about your projects and your game design portion of this so Talk to me about, about Daylight Publications, what got it started, and what drew you to doing writing and developing yeah. and, and designing. So I've always, like I said, since I was a kid, I've always loved reading. I've always loved writing. I've got this fantasy series I've been working on since I was like 12. One day I'll eventually wrap it up. And I got into doing a lot of like reviews for the DMs Guild when I started my podcast. And then eventually I was kind of like, well, why don't I write stuff? It doesn't seem that terribly hard. So over the summer of 2019, I got invited onto a project called the Blood Ties Anthology, which is sort of a collection of adventures. And I was working on that over the summer. My first book I did was with a friend of mine, uh, Brian Holmes. And we did a book called Voice of the Gods, which was for celestial themed subclasses because it was it, it came out October 2019. So in line with Descent into Avernus. Uh, So we did that. That was my first release on the guild. The motto for Daily Publications is story first, mechanic second. A lot of the stuff I make is not very balanced. It's very much fun, narrative, exciting, goofy. One of the big books folks probably know me for is one that my friend Ryan Langer and I made called Root and Twig, which was a collection of subclasses and an original class themed around the American timber industry of the uh, 1800s and 1900s, which... As a history teacher, I'm always looking for ways to incorporate learning into my stuff. And then I also did a book called Fae Forged, which was my ode to Bionicle in 5e. So making a Warforged variant based off of Bionicles, because those are my favorite Legos growing up. And we just kind of kept making stuff and making stuff and making stuff. And then obviously pandemic happened. And so 
I was doing my student teaching in the spring. And then I had done my first eight weeks in the middle school. And I was going to do my next eight weeks in a high school. But right as my high school placement started, everything locked down. Right. So I went home because there was no point in me staying at my college campus. And a bunch of friends were talking in our the DMs Guild Creator Circle server and Discord. And I remember getting pinged one afternoon. They're like, hey, Cam, we need you. And I was like, what? I've been summoned. What do you require? And they're like, well, we're talking about how do you do vigilantes in medieval fantasy? And then like 10 minutes later, I was making a Discord server. And then another 10 minutes later, we were inviting writers. And then we did our first Kickstarter in the course of several months during the summer of COVID. So it was, we just kind of threw it together and Supers and Sorcery, you know, none of us expected it to blow up as big as it did. We were funded in 10 hours, 414% funding, we made like $12,000. And from there, it kind of just grew and grew. We had it, we have a fan base now and it, it's fun. And I think Super Sorcerer was a great way for us to kick it off. I, I was, as I was looking over the website, I looked at that and I was, at the beginning of pandemic, I was running a D&D, a 5e adjacent superhero thing with a, a different system I had found. And I was looking at it, and I was like, where was this when I needed it at the beginning of the pandemic? I could have, this was what I was looking for. And I like what you said before, like you say you focus on more of the fun and the narrative and the thematic of it and then figure out the balance and everything else. And as someone who DMs sometimes, the story is interesting. That makes it more fun for the player. And that was one of the big things with Supers and Sorcery that was a blast is, you know, we had a lot of folks who got it and they were like, oh, we were expecting this to be like a comprehensive guide for superheroes in 5e. Where is all of our grit and stuff? And we're kind of like, well, if you want Chunk, go and get Mutants and Masterminds. The whole thing is that Supers and Sorcery is just D&D, but with superhero flavor. That's all we did is we just added flavor. You know, we've got some extra mechanics in there, but it's very much, the the setting is very much the core of Supers and Sorcery. And that was a great deal of fun building the city of Beacon and figuring out how do we make all the different ages of comic books and their tones work in one place. And we were able to do that with the four different levels of, of Beacon. And it was just, it was, it, it was, it was a blast. And it, it hit, it got me with the bug and... You know, it was just, why don't we do more, more stuff like this, more goofy, wild, bright settings when so often like Kickstarter, you see these very like big, grim, dark, heavy, tome thick settings that it's like, I mean, it looks cool, but. Right. And, and like some of those are like, these are fun to play, but like, I, and this is no, this is no slight against people who do Lovecraft things, but like how many more HP Lovecraft inspired settings do I, do I need in my life? I don't know. Probably how many more, few. how many more Dark Souls inspired settings or like OSR settings are out there. And a lot of them look very cool. And I definitely, if I made more money as a teacher, I'd probably buy a lot of them, but. Yeah, <laughs> but that brings us up to Comets and Cockpits. I love that you describe it as good old fashioned Junker space fantasy at its core. And I feel like I probably know where some of that inspiration comes, like reading the description. Like I, I can name franchises that you're probably pulling from or inspired by. Mm -hmm. I don't want to interject my own opinions on that. So tell me, where did this idea come from? Where did you pull from? When we were finishing up the campaign for Supers and Sorcery, like we'd done the Kickstarter, we were starting everything to lay out. I was like, oh, I got a new idea. And I was a really big fan of this MMO that was out a couple of years ago called Wildstar, which if folks had never heard of it, it unfortunately got closed down because one of those great MMOs that started off as pay to play, but then I think a little too little too late turned free to play 
So kind of it's the last two years of existence for free to play. And I got in there in those last two years, but it was a super fun MMO. It was just very colorful, very zany. It was like this weird mixture of space Western and space fantasy and everything felt heavy and industrial and clunky. And it was really, really fun. Really, really fun. And that game left a very a big mark on me. But then I also have come to love stuff like Borderlands and Destiny and just lots of IP, like Firefly, stuff like yeah. that. 5e have, you know, been wanting a, a resurgence of Spelljammer or a resurgence of Planescape for, you know, I think as long as 5e has been out there, have been folks clamoring for that and Dark Sun and whatnot. And it kind of got to the point where I'm like, well, Spelljammer is not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen happen i think with Baldur's gate 3 and that trailer with the nautiloid that was like a little like ha we teased you but we're not going to give it to you and so i when i was i was working on ideas and working on ideas and i was getting ready to or i had moved down here by that point to start my new job and i was like i just want to do something fun super sorcery was great i want to ride that high and just make something really goofy and fun again and I put the team together and, you know, we got a, I got a partner for the Kickstarter, Zach Goins, bite-sized gaming. And when we were talking, I was like, okay, we're going to do this as two books. So it's two books in one Kickstarter. Okay. And the reason we're doing that is because it's actually two settings in one. So okay. the first book is going to be very much more of a space Western exploration kind of vibe, because that is set on the planet of Adelphos, which the idea is that you are homesteaders on this planet. Uh, originally, it was ruled over by these ancient five peoples. A great catastrophe happened. They all left the planet. But then millennia later, they return as their descendants to the planet and sort of rediscover their old home world. And we made it. Uh, the planet itself is 39 billion square kilometers. It is the size of Jupiter. My friends on the project were like, but Cam, the science doesn't work. And I was like, Shh. <laughs> science doesn't have to work. It's okay. We don't need to worry about gravity. It's okay. And that very much has bombastic energy, tons of wonky critters, ancient ruins, all sorts of homages to tons of different IPs with that. And that's very much meant to be like a bright, technicolor, pulpy, gritty, Western kind of place. And then we have the satellite city that orbits it called Epoch. And that's meant to hit more on like the Gundam, Destiny, Star Wars kind of vibe. You know, lots of corporate espionage, you know, trying to figure out how to live in this new world, kind of coexisting with different corporations and factions within the satellite. And we were getting a lot of questions of like, oh, how are you fixing 5e? What are you doing? Like, we're not changing anything about 5e. We're just adding a ton. So right now in raw text in Google Docs, both of these books are almost 200 pages long, which means they're going to be pretty massive once we put them together with art and layout. So we're making some tomes, but I think we've got tons of original new species, a bunch of new subclasses. Book two has a whole new mecha system for building mecha. Uh, and then book one has a whole new type of uh, runic magic that we've added. And I am very excited to let to have this launch on the 15th and see how people help us bring it to life. Nice. And then you kind of hit on this a little bit, but thinking about the campaign, thinking about the project you're, you're launching, are there, you've, you've kind of talked us through the world and things and some of this, some of these special flavors. Is there anything of particular note that you're like, this is a thing that I'm super pumped about and I will geek out about it because I'm so enamored with, with what we've done for this you say like runic magic, this creating mechas. What's the thing for you that you were like, this is my little diamond in the rough here? 
I, I'm not really a mechanics guy. I, so I did most of the setting writing, but I did contribute some things here and there mechanically. I did a lot of the feats for book two, which were really goofy. I made some absolutely ridiculous feats because I think feats <laughs> very often are taken very seriously. But I am making some joke feats that are good. For instance, book two, there is a feat called Stand and Deliver, which is 100% a JoJo's feat, where there are five different sub-feats you can get based on JoJo's stands. For any of you JoJo's Bizarre Adventure fans, that one's for you. But I think the thing I really had the most fun doing for it is I think definitely working on book one um, and doing the setting for book one, just because there is something about, and this harkens back to my love of Wildstar, because one of the things of Wildstar you can get is alongside your class in Wildstar, you could get a career. I always picked Explorer because there'd be all these micro challenges around the map that encouraged you to go out and actually explore the other areas of the map. And just that aspect of the fact that we have this massive planet that we've built where on the planet, there is the territory of Haven, which is split into six different counties. And each of the counties kind of has a different flavor that we aimed for got one that's a little like bio horror we've got one that's very much like it's like a giant salt marsh where you can go hunting for scrap and stuff like that so every county is a little bit different but the thing is that haven itself is only like 0.8 percent of the whole planet so you can use it as your base and then go out and have these awesome campaigns hunting for lost ruins or lost tech and then come back and have a nice fun home base and i think haven in the counties feels very alive to me and i think that was one of the things i was i had the most fun with was just having these quirky goofy little counties that one of them uh one of the big things i wanted to do is have a lot of more lgbtqia plus representation in rpgs because there's so little of that in haven almost all of the commissioners or the governors of the counties are queer representation my favorite being dale morn which is like our farming one is run by two bugbears bugbear husbands which was kind of like <laughs> their joke but also bugbears <laughs> um so oh that's good so I, I wanted to do that and just you know have fun with it show folks that hey anyone can be part of a world and that kind of thing i think when people talk about including lgbtq plus representation in games because it like you said it isn't something you see super often and if you do it's not always done well Hit or miss. Hit it's or very miss hit or miss. Um, it's like, oh, like we've got this queer character and he's the drama person. And you're like, I I need you to like flush out a full a full character here and give me a little bit more than that. Yeah. But this that's super cool. Is there and is that something that you work into your like into some of the stuff that you've done already? Or like is that just something that like a conscious decision for this particular campaign that you, you well, put it together? I think just in the big books that I've been putting together recently because we got a couple others lined up in the coming months but especially so when we were doing supers and sorcery weirdly enough over quarantine back in 2020 I figured out I was bi so it was kind of like <laughs> out of nowhere I was watching the Warcraft movie and I was like whoa Duratam's hot and I was like oh yeah I guess okay that makes sense of course my bisexual awakening was a giant orc makes total sense and my fiance was like <laughs> Why am I even surprised? That is absolutely the way you'd find it. So we went into it and I think we, so for Supers and Sorcery, our core team of superheroes are called the Portaliers. And okay. we each, some of us kind of each picked one to design. So I designed this one 
Uh, her name was Thurga. She was a half-orc. She's the courtelier mantle of, of willpower. And I was just writing her, and I just happened to write her that she was married to a dwarf lady, and they had little dwarkling babies, and they had a glass blowing studio. And it just kind of happened. I was like, hey, that's cool. And over the summer, when we were starting to work on drafting out the setting for, for Comets and Cockpits, and I was working on Haven, it just, it just kind of naturally happened. I mean, not only LGBTQ representation, but also interracial couples. And not just like, ah, here is a black human, here is a white human in fantasy, they are married. But like, this is a dwarf and this is a hobgoblin, they are married. This is a shark woman, this is a tiefling, they are married. And just other different body types, different types of people. And I think just in general, RPGs need to be more representative of the people that play them. A couple few days ago, I am putting together a team for this new game we got coming out uh, in the fall called Atoms and Arrows, which is a magic apocalypse earth. So we're starting on magic apocalypse North America, which we're calling Nerda. And I announced it on International Women's Day because I was like, well, I already was going to try and find an all-women, femme, non-binary, trans team. Because everyone's, there's so many people on Twitter that are like, oh, you can't do that. It's so hard to find them. And I had the whole team put together within a month. And I'm like, it's not that hard. (laughs) It's not that hard to find representation. So I don't know why you guys are complaining about it. And so that project I'm super pumped about. Right. Uh, well, and, it, and it's hard because you have to go outside the circle of your like five friends and actually start asking other people out in the world like, hey, do you want to do you want to work on a game? And it's awesome because we even got some newbies who've never published before. And I think that's super fun of having some some old blood, but also bringing new writers into the fold. So I think it's always a good time. I think this builds into another thing I saw on your website that I, I was super like kind of intrigued by just kind of what that looked like. But you, you talk about a mentoring program. So like, mm-hmm. you know, and you talk about these campaigns and bringing in new folks who've never published before. You have on there the, this offer of a two to three month free mentoring program with access to a Discord server and some other things. Talk me through like, what does that look like? And, I, and how's, it, how's it been going? I literally threw that together two weeks ago. Just out of a thought, because I was thinking about because we did bring on some new folks for comments and cockpits, and I think they did a great job, but I also think they weren't quite prepared for how big of a project this was. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. totally okay. This is your first time doing anything, and I did kind of invite you on to a massive book as your first thing. So I was like, it wasn't entirely fair. And I was thinking about, you know, I was lucky enough to have some friends that I had made through reviewing their work on on my show and I was like you know it would be great if there were programs out there for folks who wanted to get in and I mean there is the RPG Writers Workshop which is a great resource but again that's like 30 or 20 dollars which may not sound like a lot but to some folks that's Mm -hmm. that's gas that might be food that might be parking for a week and especially given everything with COVID going on some folks are really strapped for cash so I was like you know there's no reason why I can't put something together free with the stuff I've learned. And by no means am I an expert. You know, I'm just kind of like, hey, if you want to learn from what I've learned, go for it. And so I got some friends together. And like, like you said, it's two to three months. Actually, we started this Monday. So we're running from this Monday through early June. And we've split it into, so there's four tracks. We've got writers, editors, layout, and artists. A mentor for each, some friends of mine that I've worked with before. And 
we've got close to 20 writers. We think we've got like five layout folks, five editors, and I think five artists or so. Um, We got a lot of people that were like super interested, which was great. And so the way it's going to work is that this session, we've given the writers a prompt of they have to make a fighter subclass. And then the idea is that we're going to kind of train the other folks on how do you edit an RPG product? How do you do art for an RPG product? How do you do layout? And then eventually at the end of the program, they will all come together. So an artist, a layout person, an editor will come to one person's writing project, and then we will publish it for them with kind of, as kind of like a, a kickstart to their life on DMs Guild. And we're hoping to offer it four times a year and kind of welcome in new folks. And it's literally just meant to be very chill, very relaxed, just kind of a, a fun way to learn and also just connect with folks. As you know, we, we kind of talked through a number of different things. I think as we've, I think people are getting to know you a little bit as a, as a game designer and to know the things that you have worked on. But as someone who's listening to this podcast, what is something that you would love for them to take away from this interview, from this conversation, you know, something you want people to know about you as a game designer? I think the biggest thing would really be to not get intimidated. It can be very scary, but only if you let it be that. It does take learning. It does take navigating. I'm not going to say it doesn't because it does. It's a lot to try and handle and learn. But I think the biggest thing is you don't need a state-of-the-art computer. You don't need a state-of-the-art graphic design program. You don't need the most amazing art. You, you, you don't need any of that. There's so many free resources that you can get to start. And even then you don't need that. Designing is really, especially with the development of stuff like Itch and drive through being as popular as it is, one-page RPGs are booming. The, especially during COVID, one-page RPGs have become super popular because they're quick, don't take a lot of setup, and they can, you can just put them together really easy. So I would really just tell folks, if anyone wants help, they can talk to me. I'm more than willing to help. I've got a whole Discord server full of other creators, other folks, but really just go for it. You got an idea, give it a go. See if you can turn it into an RPG and just kind of find your niche, find the one or two things that you know you really like and, and roll with it and go with it from there. You've got your Kickstarters coming up on the 15th. You're going to be doing launching and getting all that. I know you talked about your, your other projects. Adams and Arrows. Yes, Adams and Arrows. We've got another project launching this summer because yeah. I love to make myself super busy called Morketh, A World of a Thousand Islands. And it's going to be our first ever quest setting. So we're going to be using the quest system. And for those of you guys that don't know what quest is, it's a super rules light, very story driven mm-hmm. system. It's really become very popular in the last year and a half or so. And that's going to be set in a homebrew world I've been making since I was in middle school where it's very swashbuckly action adventure, but a lot of the traditional fantasy tropes turned on their head. Humans are not the majority race. Humans are actually the minority race. And we've got a lot of really cool dragons and giant monsters and all sorts of stuff with that. So that'll be coming out in the summer. But uh, yeah, we got Commons Cockpits, more Keth, and then Adams and Arrows in the fall. So plenty on the docket. (laughs) So so my, my question then rooted in all of this is, if you had unlimited time, money, resources to do any project you wanted, what is, do you have like a, a pie in the sky? Like this is someday I want to do this game or project. I feel like every writer, like I, I do, I'm a writer myself. And so like, mm-hmm. I, you know, we all have those things where you're like, I someday, someday I want to do this. I honestly, if I could, if I could get the rights to it, 
I would want to make a Bionicle RPG. Since I was a kid, since I got into D&D, that has been a dream. It's probably one of the most ridiculous things you will ever hear an RPG designer <laughs> ask for. But honestly, a <laughs> I would love to make a Bionicle RPG. Any 5e quest, whatever, I just want to make one. So Lego, if you're listening, <laughs> let me do it, please. I want to. Those are all of my like big content questions. And now I just have a couple rapid fire, just ask you some things and see where it lands. What is for you, and we'll do this twice. So once as a player, once as a DM, for you, what is your favorite gaming system that you've played in? That's hard. Because I've played in <laughs> quite a few. I think favorite one I've played in, uh, the 2D20 system that Modifius uh, Entertainment does. I've played in the their Infinity RPG, which okay. was super fun. So I think 2D20, honestly, was was a lot of fun. And then the, the other side is as a forever DM, what is, what's one of your favorite systems to DM? Hands down City of Mist. It is super narrative driven. Mechanics are directly built into the narratives. It's designed so you can do short sessions, short season. They, they literally call it seasons and arcs. So you can do like a six to eight episode season. That's your campaign. Boom, done. And the, the way you build characters is so narrative driven and so freeform and creative. It flows like a movie. And, and I love that. I, City of Mist, I think, is definitely, I love D&D, but City of Mist is where my heart usually rests. Yeah, I feel like we all easily, we all default right back to like, D&D is good. It's a good, it's the good foundation. But like, man, this other stuff is also like very cool. But <laughs> fighter, rogue, or wizard? Considering I don't play any of them. Um... <laughs> If I had to pick, usually I'd probably go fighter. I'm not a very stealthy person. And I, I have played a wizard once and I hated it. It was no fun. <laughs> so fighter probably. Okay. What is what is your favorite class to play? The class that I've made the most subclasses for has been warlock. I love warlocks. I usually hate magic users because it gets too complicated for my little monkey brain. <laughs> But there is something about Warlocks that there is so much roleplay flavor there. I think more so than any of the other classes, I think patrons give you so much cool story to play with. The base three patrons, I'm like, not exciting. Fiend, Fae, and Old One are kind of meh. But Warlocks, hey, everyone loves an Eldritch Blast now and then. I Warlocks are just so much fun. Especially everyone sleeps on bar block to the end of this day the only multi-class i have ever done that has worked has been barbarian warlock i don't know why <laughs> i did it with kazim it worked out and i've done it other times and it works nice and then so the flip side of that question is what's your least favorite class to play honestly it's clerics and paladins i think okay. just because and I get into a huge argument with this with a, with a lot of friends of mine, only because slight story behind it is at one point I was going to play a cleric who was the destruction domain, which is from the 5e Cthulhu mythos from Peterson Games. So it was all, you know, he'd said, oh yeah, that's fine. You can do that. You can do that. And then he goes, but wait, it worships an eldritch god. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, only warlocks can worship eldritch beings. I'm like, that's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> it's not how that works. So it spawned this huge debate. And I think it's just because to me, 
clerics and paladins are so defined by their oaths and domains that there's not really a lot of wiggle room. And it's just, it feels like there's not a lot of opportunity to grow very narratively. Because like with a warlock, there can be a cool relationship between you and your patron and it can build and develop. But with clerics and paladins, it's very much like, you know, locked in this box. I had a whole argument the other day about, oh, you know, what if I played a paladin who is struggling with their faith? That would be a cool concept to me of like being a paladin who is trying to believe, but is struggling. And all of them were like, well, you can't be a paladin because you're struggling with your faith. I'm like, but yeah, but isn't any good religious person struggling with their faith at one point or another? So that was a whole other discussion. But yeah, paladins and clerics, I've tried them a couple of times. Doesn't, doesn't really hit it. Okay. Uh, and then my, my last one in this, in this little series is, is there a class you've always wanted to try? I've always wanted to try Bard just because being a history teacher and being a massive comic book and, you know, fantasy nerd, history nerd and stuff like that. And having been a theater kid in high school, I feel like if I was any actual class, I probably would be like a college of lore bard. Um, <laughs> I would be that nerd being like, yes, let us look at the history of this location. I, I just want to be a bard sometime and just be like, not like the horny bard stereotype because I feel like that gets so overdone and it gets really annoying, but be like the, the this professor who like has a loving family at home. He's just gone out with this group of adventurers to go and do like research for his tenure. And then gets dragged along on this epic adventure. He's like, I literally just was trying to write my master's thesis, not do all this shit. <laughs> um, so I think that that one's a concept that's locked away for a little while. And sci-fi or fantasy? Fantasy. I mean, at the end of the day, I think sci-fi is rooted in fantasy. It's just like right. fantasy in future. Star Wars is space fantasy. Perfect example right there. But, you know, I got my first big fantasy series I ever read as a kid was The Belgariad by David Eddings. It'll, uh. always be, it'll always be my favorite series. Anything David Eddings wrote, I would eat. You know, that. The Secrets of the Immortal Nicholas Flamel by Michael Scott. Read that a ton as a kid. Percy Jackson. Any of the World of Warcraft novels. Any, anything fantasy was just immediate. Done. Done deal. Nice. To wrap up with you, can you, well, first, thank you so much for taking some time. Comments and Cockpit sounds super fun. Hopefully people will go check out the Kickstarter, which is going live on April 15th. But if people wanted to find you, Cam, where, mm -hmm. where can people find you? So you guys can find me online, mostly on Twitter. If you want to follow me for lots of RPG stuff and uh, shit posting, you can catch me on Twitter at DaylightPub1066. You can find our website at www.daylightpublications.com. We are on Facebook, Daylight Publications as well. And my podcast is Comics, Clerics, and Controllers on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, uh, all the podcasting places. Uh, so you can find us there. We're in our fourth season. And uh, yeah, Instagram, if you want to find me, I'm not, I'm not going to bother giving you my Instagram because I barely post there. But uh, Twitter is the main Twitter is the main place to find me. <laughs> so, well, again, and thank you so much. And for folks listening, if you um, enjoyed the podcast, please give a follow to Pod of Blunders. You can also check them out. They're on Twitter. You can also check them out online at podofblunders.com. And that is, that is our time. So thank you so much. And it was great chatting with you. Thank you very much. I appreciate coming on. Thank <laughs> you.